This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Something we've talked about on the show before and something that I think more and more people are starting to get concerned about is cybersecurity, specifically around healthcare infrastructure in our country. We all know what happened in Newfoundland not that long ago. Their entire healthcare system was shut down. Recently hacked, thousands of medical appointments and procedures had to be cancelled, but they're not alone. In fact, it it happens um, a lot more than you might think. Uh, uh, Globally, anyway, according to a global survey of IT professionals from 328 healthcare organizations, 34% of them reported that they'd been hit by ransomware attacks in 2020. More than a third. And uh, it seems to be a growing industry for these cyber attackers. So let's get some insight on where we are and what we need to do about this. We're going to chat with Eric Paraxlis, who is a Chief Science and Digital Officer for the Duke Clinical Research Institute at the Duke School of Medicine. Eric, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me. You know, I think this is something that we're starting to recognize is a, is a bigger concern, you know, for a layman like me. But I'm sure people like you have recognized this uh, for some time now, right, that our healthcare infrastructure is certainly vulnerable to this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was the chief information officer at the U.S. FDA back in like 2012, and it was one of my large priorities was to help uh, try to seal up the medical infrastructure. Why is it such a vulnerable target? Why, why, why is it attractive to um, cyber attackers? There's a, there's a couple of reasons. You know, there's, Answer that's kind of two questions there. Um, First of all, it's vulnerable because it has to be connected. You know, if you're a banker, you can log into your computer, put in a password, go get a cup of coffee, come back, put in your second password. If you're a doctor next to the bed of a patient, you need that data that minute. There's something going on, right? So the data has to be available. The other thing about vulnerability is 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 a few things. One, again that the data needs to be available so that that creates a, a certain type of situation. But the other thing is that it's just highly valuable. I mean, you know, identity theft is something people are mostly familiar with now. Medical identity theft is actually a very large industry as well, because not only can you use that data to try to falsify a credit card charge or something like that, you can submit bogus medical bills for treatments that you never had or something like that. So it just opens up a whole avenue of crime. And then there's there's people that are looking to just do bad things, right? There's people that are looking to do harm, to disrupt, to do reputational damage. So, you know, attacking healthcare is, is a way to do those things because, of course, healthcare is so vital. Um, and it seems, you know, if you're talking 34% of um, healthcare facilities being attacked last year, it looks like we certainly don't have the kind of technology in place to prevent this that we need, right? Are we, are we slow on the uptake here in this area? It's a little slow on the uptake, but it's, it's, there's two parts of that. One is, is that most of the vulnerability really just comes from old systems, right? Old systems that have been running five or six years, and there's a, there's a stack of patches sitting on someone's desk that were never applied, right? Mm-hmm. So one is keeping your technology current, up-to-date with patches and stuff. And then, yeah, there are newer technologies, of course, that can secure things better. And even, even, even you know, misdirect. 
you know, we have things like honeypots where I could put a fake hospital up on a network, see who attacks it, and then try to catch them that way. So there, there's both offensive and defensive technologies. Uh, what about the fact that, I mean, it's not just within the healthcare facility. Like, I know, for example, I was recently in the United States, and to travel back to Canada, you have to be tested. So I went and got tested at a CVS. In order to do it, I had to download a a new app onto my phone that connects to CVS records, but there's a whole list of healthcare institutions that are on there and all your records are accessed through your phone. So, I mean, the tentacles spread out all over the place with this. That's right. And that, you know, that's what we refer to as attack surface. You know, what is the total number of apps, accounts, logins, emails that a person has? And to your point, distributed healthcare like that, pharmacies, even, you know, supermarkets, um, labs, you know, x-ray places, it all, it all increases your, it literally is like a geometric area, like yeah. think about a baseball field. Um, it just explodes it. And so I think that's one of the things where um, people have to think about it. I mean, I've actually worked in consumer technology for a long time. And, you know, right about now in the U.S. is when the FBI will come out and say, hey, be careful about buying that Internet-connected refrigerator. And an example I've used for years, like, if you have an Internet-connected refrigerator and you haven't opened the door for 24 hours, the Internet knows you're not home. And and so it's, you know, really thinking and being thoughtful about the way we connect humans to the Internet and then with patients that are directly connected with wires to monitoring devices, we're actually connecting humans directly to the Internet. And so that means we're, we're merging medical risk and Internet risk, and we have to be far more thoughtful about it. When we take a look at these attacks on healthcare facilities, they're often ransomware attacks. What's the best, I mean... When you when you attack a healthcare facility like the one that happened in Canada up in Newfoundland, uh, where they shut down the healthcare system on a weekend for a couple of days and thousands of procedures has to be cancelled, it's not like you can wait these people out. I think they initially they, they they have to pay that ransom if they want to get back into business, right? They've got to pay the ransom. There's a couple things there. One is that because ransomware can lock a computer in a point in time, and you know what the best organizations can do is if you have your data backed up to the hour or to the minute, and you can restore from that backup, really you're only going to lose that hour or minute, right? So this is why, you know, I talk about basic cyber hygiene, you know, as, as the right defense there. But then to your point, yes, you know, what, what things are, are connected, how are they connected? And, you know, what happens is these things tend to snowball. So what will happen is, you know, they'll, they'll find something on a server, someone will study it on a server, and then they'll send an email with a warning to somebody else, not knowing that the email is the thing that actually starts spreading it. Because when someone comes in, they often come in the door, the windows, and under the cellar all at once. And so these things snowball on people. So they think they've got a little problem, and then 45 minutes later, they realize they have a much larger problem. And so, you know, these things should be only carefully connected. And, you know, we've really got to take care to have the right type of staff in these institutions to keep, to keep patients safe and keep care of moving. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a tempting target to these attackers. So is there a way we can make it less so? Are there things that you can do if you're worried about something to make it less attractive? I think so. I I, I think first and foremost, you know, really going after and shutting down bad actors when they're found, when they're known, prosecuting highly. I mean, one of the things about cybercrime is people feel like they're not really going to get caught. So first and foremost, I do think it needs to be treated very seriously. The second thing is we do have intelligence. The reason why these things are so effective, if you look at WannaCry, which shut down much of the yeah. national health system in the United Kingdom, right, is, be, is because one thing can cascade. But what happened in the U.S. was there was actually a lone hacker, famous story, right, who figured out a way to stop it. And the real reason the U.S. didn't go down, one person. And so one of the fascinating things about cybersecurity is this asymmetry, that one person can either take down a large institution or can save it. And so I, I think, you know, really making sure that we can 
trap things and not amplify threats and that we have threat intelligence so that like the minute the first ones hit, everybody's buzzer goes off and says, hey, we think we have a bug. It's hit this electronic medical record system. Lock yours down type of thing. So I do think the the alarm system has to be better. Has the word got out? Are they doing that kind of thing? Is that work being done now? Absolutely. It's just, it's just, it's just hard to retrofit it. You know, it's yeah. kind of like I said in the CDC, it's hard to turn your house into a bank. It was built to be a house, right? <laughs> so um, they're doing it as fast as they can. And I think, you know, I really do think that chasing these things down and making these things really unattractive crimes is really important. And, you know, and that's, that's lots of things, right? Because one of the things, uh, the book I wrote, I actually treat these like medical side effects, like a, like a headache from a medicine, right? And, and one of the things that people don't, don't always think about is that when something goes wrong, it, the symptom is in the other system. So, for example, when is a bad credit score the side effect of having your knee scoped? <laughs> and so right, it's okay. very difficult to relate those two things. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's been slow is because medicine, as this is mushroomed in the last five or six years, the side effects don't always show up in the hospital. They show up elsewhere. What can we do as, like I say, as a consumer, like I'll, I'll probably never be in a CVS pharmacy again, getting any kind of test or result or anything like that. But now <laughs> I have this app, which as you say, is a doorway, right? It's yeah. a doorway to me. It's a doorway to CVS and wherever else it goes. I mean, do we need to be more careful about that? I mean, there's millions of these doorways out there. Well, I think, I think yeah, I think first of all, yes, right. I mean, we do have some control over our tax service, the number of credit cards, the number of online accounts we have those types of things. And I've, I've done some stuff going back to 2014 with Consumer Reports, where there's great articles out there on consumer privacy. So I think that's one base. The other thing to really do, though, is, you know, I, my main worry is disruption of care. Somebody, you know, a baby not getting the care it needs as it's being born or something. So really think about where you are. If you're a new mother, have all your stuff on paper. If you have, you're caring for a person in your family, an older adult, have paper copies of their prescriptions or have it all on a pen drive or something that's compressed. But you want to make sure that wherever you go, your information is with you. And unfortunately, that almost means you have to carry it yourself if you want to be yeah. truly safe. Wow, what a wild world. Eric, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. That is Eric Paraxlis, who, uh, as you heard, has extensive experience in this field. He's the Chief Science and Digital Officer for the Duke Clinical Research Institute at the Duke School of Medicine. And just think about, you know, how as we become more and more interconnected when it regards, when it's regarding your health care. And with this COVID thing, in many ways, you know, you've got to have your QR code. You've got to get your test results. You've got to download this app. You've got to download that app. You've got to use the ArriveCan app. I mean, the list goes on. And it's just more and more and more instances of you having that information on the net in one capacity or another. 